It's good to be with you. I want to uh, do a little experiment right now. And so I need for your appropriate attention at this time. I'd like to play two little clips. I'd like to play a clip of an orchestra. Uh, there's Orchestra A and then there's Orchestra B. We're going to have a beautiful orchestra right down here and you're going to enjoy their music. I'd like for you to example a couple of orchestras that, uh, for your listening pleasure. And then like to see what sounds a little bit better to you. So let's hear Orchestra A. That's Orchestra A. Now I'd like for you to listen to Orchestra B. idea. Would A sound better or does B sound? How many like A? How prefer A? <laughs> B would be, okay, so the obvious, right? What makes the difference between Orchestra A and Orchestra B? Orchestra A is warming up. Every instrument is doing what feels right in their own eyes, right? They're, they're just sort of Whenever the move, uh, the, the uh, impulse is there, they just play and they play a note of their own choice. The second orchestra, what makes them so unique? They have a director, right? Very, very passionate about what he does. And they were all playing together in concert, as the word would suggest. It's both a verb and a noun, I guess. And very simply put, I just want to state the obvious. The reason the second orchestra sounds better than the first orchestra is because the second orchestra has an authority in charge who knows what he's doing and knows how to lead. But not just that, but the second orchestra also has a group of musicians who know how to be submissive to the authority that is ruling over them. And when musicians are in submission to the authority who knows what he's doing and rules over them, those musicians accomplish a whole lot more, make beautiful music together, and it's something desirable and something very attractive, and maybe it's something that everybody wants to be part of as well. And so simply put, 
This morning, I'd like to talk about the beauty of submission. That when we are in submission to an authority who rightfully rules over us, we live a much better life. We live in harmony. We live, we live in unity. We, li- we, we make beautiful products that come out of that sweet spirit. And sometimes in marriages, there's a failure to submit to an appropriate authority. And therefore, the marriage is like the first orchestra. Everything seems to be out of tune. Sometimes in a church, there is inappropriate authority and the congregation fails to submit to the inappropriate authority and everybody's playing out of tune and everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And the beautiful thing about having appropriate authority that people are in submission to is the product is so much more attractive and desirable. The music is beautiful. And the beautiful thing is that Even if you're playing the trumpet or the violin in an orchestra and you play out of tune a note here or there, or maybe you lose your place on the score that's in front of you on the stand, you look back at the director. He'll give you the little dirty eye, but you're right back in the frame of things as to what the orchestra is supposed to be doing. And so sometimes in life, we play a bad note here or there. We sort of lose our place in life. We're not quite sure what we should do next. And what a godly saint who follows Jesus does is go back to Jesus, go back to the authority, go back to the one who's in charge, and understand what He now requires of us, and we get back in line. And whether it's a marriage, a family, a business, or a church, or relationship, when we're under the authority of one who knows best and we submit to that authority who does know best, he's constantly bringing us back to where we make the kind of music that people really want to be around. And that's the beauty of what we want to talk about of submission today. We're going to learn about submission from probably one of the most popular women in the Bible, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I'm going to read from the text in Luke chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at her life and remind ourselves of really some of the more familiar passages that Mary's life is uh, offering to us. But the beauty of Mary's life is the one phrase that we're going to look at when we get to it. But let me read in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And let me just say this. If you want to be a student of God's Word, there's two lenses to look at Scripture through. There is the lens, number one, of looking at those things that were relevant for the days in which these people lived. The original audience, the original writings, the original culture. And what I like to describe to help me to remember this is that there are, there are these um, temporary truths that are there relevant to their lives. And that temporary pattern of life that has now passed But we look at it through the lens of Mary and what Mary experiences. But then there are those timeless truths, those timeless principles that are relevant for us today. As I read through what Mary experiences, her temporary practices, there's not a a person in this room that I would guess will have an angel visit them today and tell you you're going to have a child, whether you're old like Elizabeth or your little teenage girl like Mary, never having been married, my guess is the application is not that angels are going to come and announce that we're going to give birth 
to one who we should call Jesus. That's not going to happen. That's the temporary practice. But out of Mary's life, and this is the thing we look for, we find timeless principles that teach us even to this day that really are derived from the life that Mary lived. That's what a good student of God's Word does. We look at what happened originally, but we draw from it these timeless principles that still guide us to this day. So keep those two things in mind. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we read the familiar visitation of Gabriel. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Nazareth was no great place to live. Roman garrisons, a lot of immorality going on in that city. And uh, it was just a podunk little town. And that's where Gabriel goes to find Mary. Goes to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Engagement in those days, as you may well know, was simply uh, about as powerful a relationship of a contract as marriage is us to today. It may last for a year, but there is a commitment and engagement that is essentially like marriage with having physically consummated that marriage. And so she is engaged to this man, Joseph, of the descendants of David. Both of them come from the descendants. They're both the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement. She's probably not used to Gabriel coming and saying things like this to her. And so she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Jesus is still going to come back and establish that eternal kingdom. Can you imagine what's going through Mary's mind who out of the middle of nowhere, in this podunk town, little Nazareth, she is being told she's going to carry the child, his name is going to be Jesus, and he's going to have a kingdom that will never end. It just blows your mind to think of having an angel come and actually tell us something as powerful as that. But there she is, and Mary says the natural thing that I would have said, how can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. It's going to be a miracle. The Holy Spirit is going to create a baby within your womb. This is not some sort of uh, in vitro fertilization. This is a miracle of the Holy Spirit saying, I'm going to create an embryo, a baby in your womb, strictly by the power of God, but it will have human flesh that comes from Mary, and this will be Jesus. So somehow God, in all of His infinite wisdom, is going to be packaged in this little embryo that's going to multiply in these cells the way babies do within a woman. And this is the miracle of this Holy Spirit overshadowing her. And behold, even in your relative Elizabeth is also conceived in her old age. She would be the mother of John the Baptist. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I am intrigued to note that in verses 26 to 38, this whole little conversation could take place within five minutes of time. 
And Mary instantly says, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord be it done unto me according to your word. It's just incredible to me that, see, she would so quickly submit to the authority of the director, God himself. And we want to learn from that little episode of Mary's life. And we want to find the timeless principles that still guide us to this day. I was reading this last week and discovered that in Amazon they can actually track what people read in Kindles. And what they can find out is what do people underscore, underline most in all the books that Amazon sells. Of all the books that Amazon sells, the book that rises to the top is The Hunger Games. And this is in November, the last, just last month. And they cataloged all the lines that people underlined in their Kindle. The line that stood out the most, most frequently underlined, was the line I have on the screen. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. That's what people underline the most. I think about Mary. Sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. That's what people all around the world are feeling. That's what Mary must have felt. And I'm here to say that if you're living a life where you feel the same way, where something's happening to you and you feel ill-equipped to deal with it, I'm inviting us to go back to the director, to live in concert to his leadership, to be in submission to his truth, to be qualified to be his follower, so that I know that everything that happens, every sour note and every misstep of my life, I can go back to the director and he'll bring me back into the concert of all that God has designed for my life. That's what Mary discovered. That's what we're going to discover. And from Mary, we learn this. Here are the timeless principles. Not the temporary practices where Mary is given the Holy Spirit and has this uh, virgin-conceived child, but the timeless principles of submission that come from her life. When I submit to the impossible task, here's the key. When I submit to those impossible tasks... I learned from Mary that God will provide. Sometimes he asks me to do the impossible, as Mary's case. But I learned that God will provide. I don't want any of us to doubt that God won't provide for those things he asks of you and me. He simply wants a heart like Mary's heart to submit to him. Here are some of the things that God's will looks like. God's will can be very perplexing. Notice her phrase in her line in verse 29. She was very perplexed. How can this be? Just because God's will is perplexing, it doesn't mean it's not God's will. Sometimes we want God's will to be very clear, very easy, a very big lane that I can walk down and everything's all packaged together nicely. Sometimes God's will is highly perplexing, highly confusing to me. But it is still God's will. I also notice a timeless principle that God's will may create fear. Just because I am afraid, just because things aren't going my way, just because God is placing me in a place where there's anxiety and fear, it doesn't mean it's not God's will. Because for Mary, she was in submission to God. He was directing her life. But he encourages, Mary, you're going to want to fear this. But I just want to encourage you, you don't need to be afraid. Because I'm in charge. You just keep your eye on the director. Thirdly, I notice that God's will reveals His grace to me. 
When I step out in faith and believe and submit and say, God, be it done to me according to your word, the grace of God suddenly becomes more abundant and I begin to experience things that I would not have otherwise. I also notice this about Mary, that God's will allows me to help fulfill his divine purposes. When the angel came to him and you said, you should name him Jesus, he will have a kingdom that will not end. He will save his people from their sins. I realize that my submission to God, I'm doing something that goes beyond my comfort zone. I'm doing something beyond that feels easy for me. I'm doing something higher for what God wants for my life. When I have a vision that I'm accomplishing something larger than my own little world, there's a high high level of value of that submission that the director is moving me into a higher plane of God's beautiful picture and plan. And for you and I, Sometimes I just, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to cocoon myself. I just want to be all by myself. I just don't want to have to be distracted and bothered by some of the challenges that God may bring my way. And God says, I'm looking for people like Mary that are willing to say, God, this is perplexing to me. This is confusing to me. I'm fearful of what you're asking for me. But God, if it's going to help me fulfill a higher calling in your world and your vision and your mission for my life, God, be it done to me according to your word. I'll submit to those things that I know are accomplishing a higher mission from God. And then we also notice this. God's will is simply not impossible because he loves to come and help. As the angel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. God loves to come and plant us right where we need to be so that he can accomplish the things he wants to accomplish in our lives. And that's why Mary said, therefore, may it be done to me according to your word. I love the submissive attitude of Mary. I, I was reminded that I got an email from someone who used to be here. They moved away. And in a very simple way, this is, this is not huge and profound, but it, but it reminded me that every decision I make and every act of submission I make to the Lord, there are consequences that play out. There's a world sort of like the pinball where I decide to do something and then suddenly it affects a lot of other people around me. My heart of submission to God affects people around me. Mary's heart of submission to God has affected every person on the planet because every person now has a Jesus, a Savior, they can turn to. Her submission impacts all of us. Our little decisions impact other people as well. Here's an email I got, and it begins, it's a young man, a young family uh, who have moved to another community, and he begins, hello, Dr. Mitchell. I like the respect, very appropriate, thank you, got my attention. Thank you so much for going to Westmont, he says. Joy and I went to Westmont College, Santa Barbara. Even though I'm a big Biola fan, I am also a Westmont alum. Because you went to Westmont, you met a guy who encouraged you. And I've shared about a man, uh, his name is uh, Bob, who sat me down at Jack and Jill restaurant and confronted me about my lack of submission to God. And I made a commitment to be 100% on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's at that moment he prompted me to want to go to Dallas Seminary and go into the pastorate. I had shared that, he heard that. So he said, that's the guy who encouraged you. Because you went to Westmont, you met a guy who encouraged you. Then at Westmont, you met Joy. That would be my wife. Joy was roommate with Charlotte. 
Charlotte later had me. He is the son. This is the way he has said it. I moved to Irvine to go to college. I needed to find a good church near school. I knew you, so I went to Calvary. After going to Calvary a couple of years, I met my wife. Then you married us, and now we are husband and wife. Since you decided to go to Westmont, God was able to direct my path to the woman of my dreams. Thank you for sharing your life with us on Sunday mornings. It helps to bring the messages home. Now, very simple, right? When we make decision to say, God, whatever school, whatever job, whatever spouse, whatever church I choose to go to, I do it in submission to you. And that when we walk in submission to God, like a concert, like an orchestra, God begins to work. He begins to work in us. He begins to work through us. He begins to touch other people's lives. If I rebelled against God anywhere on that journey, it would have affected this young man. He still wouldn't be married to this day. Well, that's just, I don't know whether that's true or not, but God somehow is able to overcome our own rebellion. But imagine if I came to Calvary Church and he knew that I was at Calvary Church and I rebelled against God and I committed a grievous sin and I became disqualified from the job that I currently have. How would that have affected this young man? I would never have gotten this email from him. It would have impacted him so negatively, he said, probably I don't want nothing to do with Calvary Church. Why would I want to go to a church that doesn't have their act together? But in submission to God, when you walk in submission to God, we become much more attractive, like a concert that has a director leading an orchestra in harmony. And my submission positively attracts God's work in other people's lives. Never doubt that when God calls us and moves in our hearts, it has a positive impact upon people's lives around us. How many marriages soured by the lack of submission and proper authority of leadership have soured their children, soured their friends, and soured their lives. And so we invite people to come in submission to God. Let His rule be the one that I submit to perfectly because He designs and perfects all things even when we make a misstep. There's a second timeless principle that comes out of Mary's life. It comes out of a passage in Luke chapter 2. I'd like to read the passage. It's maybe not as prevalent at Christmas time, but it's still very intriguing. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41, we're going to find that when I submit in times of confusion and frustration, Jesus really has a plan that He wants to execute. That even in that confusion, that frustration, Jesus is going to do something. And this fast-forwards in time. Uh, Jesus is maybe about 12 years of age. He's a young boy now. And Mary and Joseph are on the road. And it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Uh, it's, of course, uh, around the springtime. And when he became 12, that would be Jesus. They went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it but supposed him to be in the caravan. 
that would not be a car. That would be a stream of horses and chariots and donkeys and people. And went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, after three days, for three days, Mary and Joseph had no idea where Jesus was. Can you imagine what their prayer life was? God, I'm sorry, I lost Jesus. And that's, that's a staggering thing to think about that. For three days, they have no, they have no knowledge of the presence of the Son of God. My goodness, they would think, well, we're social services when you need them. For three days, no amber alerts in the caravan. So for three days, three days, imagine, I can't go three, when my, my kids were 12, I wouldn't go three hours in Target if I didn't know where they were. I'd yell, close all and lock all the doors. But they're doing it for three days. Can you imagine what's in their hearts for three days when you can't find your son, your only begotten son, your firstborn son? It's just staggering. After Gabriel and this big mission, the eternal kingdom, and I can't find Jesus. Anyways, I just want you to understand the humanness of this thing. And then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And there's a whole other story of his work. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and all his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, and here is the mom mode. Here is mom talking to the son, the humanness of this relationship. Son, why have you treated us this way? Wait, Mary's rebuking the Son of God? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Imagine their hearts, the anxiety. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured in all all these things in her heart. This is an amazing little account. And what we learn is that sometimes when I'm doing God's will and I'm submission to His plan, things get pretty frustrating and confused at times. Here are some timeless principles that come from that story. That His plan may astonish me. They were astonished. They were astonished when they found Him. They were astonished as to what He was doing. God's will, when I'm in submission to it, will astonish my heart. The word astonished literally means to be struck out of my mind. Mary and Joseph, they find him, I'm out of my mind as to what you're doing, Jesus. You ever felt like you're out of your mind when you see God bringing confusion and frustration and, and frankly, you're out of tune, you're out of step, and it seems like God makes no sense? That's God. We're still in His submission to Him. His plan may cause painful anxiety to me. I've been anxiously looking for you. Oh, we would love to quote Paul, Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, Mary. No. God's will, God's plan, my submission to it, anxiety comes to the territory. And if I'm not admitting that honestly, then we maybe are not fully aware of where we are coming from. God's plan will frustrate me. Why have you treated us this way? You ever felt like, God, why are you treating me this way? God, why are you doing this to me? Why can't I find work? Why can't my marriage be better? Why can't my kids behave? Why can't my neighbor 
be quiet. Why can't I have the health that I desire? Why are you treating me this way? Those are phrases that Mary used. Those are phrases that we use even in submission to God. It's part of the, it's part of the fabric of our faith that these things would come our way. I may not fully understand what you're doing, but they did not understand. They did not understand what Jesus was saying. How many times do you not understand the will of God, the plan of God, that God's plan frustrates me? But I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I remember when Joy and I were first married, or actually we're seven years into our marriage, and we'd love to have children, thinking about Mary and all this, and couldn't get pregnant, finally got pregnant after two years of trying, and we lost that baby in a miscarriage. And at the very same time that we're uh, trying to have babies and losing that child, I'm counseling a little 16-year-old high school cheerleader who got pregnant with her boyfriend. It's just like, God, why are you treating me that way? That's how I felt. God, I don't understand what you're doing. God, here we're trying to be faithful and do the work of the ministry. And this is the way you treat me? That's how Mary felt with Jesus. Why do you treat me this way? Why do you allow these things in my life? But Mary, nevertheless, may it be done to me according to your word. Remain teachable. I love this, Mary. She treasured all these things in her heart. She treasured them. That's the Instagram of the first century where she didn't have a photo memory on her phone, but she had a photo memory in her mind. She treasures. We need to treasure what God is doing because He's going to begin to piece it together. She didn't understand the plan, but His plan was going to be revealed in time. That's what I love about God. In time, if I keep being teachable, He will show me what is taking place. And the last big part of this is this. When I submit in great pain and sacrifice, Jesus offers compassion as He fulfills a greater purpose for our lives. We've seen Mary at the birth. We've seen Mary at that little uh, 12-year-old boy who lost his way and there's confusion and why do you treat me this way and I don't understand it. Now the next time we see Mary significantly is at the cross of Jesus Christ. Mary would have been there and possibly some of His blood may have splattered on her face and garments. And I want us to enter into the humanness of who Mary is and the challenge of remaining submissive even in pain and sacrifice. Someone who really has captured the humanness of what Mary went through is Mel Gibson and the passion of the Christ. And I'd like for you to see one scene where Jesus is carrying His cross. And we find Mary and the Apostle John as He carries this cross. Let's enter into that experience with Mary.
chokes you up, doesn't it? And that's the human side of Mary. And we, don't, we have sort of a sanitized black print on white piece of paper reading of her life. Yet that so more vividly captures of all that she went through. And that's why when I think about her life and she stood at the cross and Jesus looked down and says, Mother, behold your son. And he looks to the Apostle John that we saw on the screen there and says, John, behold your mother. As Jesus speaks from the cross, he blesses his mother and puts her under the care of his, one of his great followers, the Apostle John. That Jesus is teaching us and Mary is teaching us this timeless principle that even in, even in great pain and sacrifice, Jesus offers compassion. And he's still fulfilling a greater purpose. As awful as that was for Mary... There was a higher purpose. I go to make all things new. That's why I love this quote of Andrew Murray. Let me throw it on the screen. 100 years ago, he was going through a very painful time. And he, he wrote this about that pain. First, God brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this difficult place and that I will rest. Second, He will keep me here in his love and give the grace in this trial to behave as his child. Third, I must say he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And finally, I should say, in his good time, he can bring me out again. So I will say, I am here by God's appointment in his keeping, under his training, for his task. When my heart submits to the pain and sacrifice that sometimes be in submission to the power of God and his will, that's a spirit of Mary. That she understood there's a higher fulfilled 
calling that he is accomplishing. And, and somehow I can't see it from here. I can't see it through the blood, through the pain, the stain, the brokenness. I, I just can't see it from here. But God is he's, he's perfecting things in his masterful plan. And that as long as I, like a good concert musician, keep my eyes on the director and let him and his leadership rule over my life, and I remain in submission to him, he's going to bring about that beautiful plan that I can't possibly see the end of right now. So our invitation is to be in submission to the rule of Jesus Christ. And one of the things I'm going to invite us to do is something very specific right now. I'm going to invite your participation. As Mary said, therefore, may it be done to me according to your word, we remain faithful. I'm going to invite you to respond to some of the words that God offers us within his word. Not from an angel, but from the text of Scripture. And I want to jump to the first verse, which is this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I put the question, do you believe in Jesus as the one to save you from your sins? And one of the things that Mary said is, be it done unto me according to your word. And I'm going to invite anybody here right now, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, that's the first act of submission. God isn't asking for us to do a bunch of good things if I'm not his follower yet. And so if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, the one who died upon that cross that he was carrying right there, and his blood splattered everywhere, even on his own mother, and she remained submissive to him because she then ultimately saw him resurrected again in Acts 1. If you'd like to put your faith in that same Jesus, I invite you to do that. I'm going to invite you to do that right now. I would like to offer a prayer and invite you into that relationship of submission where you too can say, be it done unto me according to your word. So would you pray with me for a moment? Father God, I bring this powerful Savior, Jesus Christ, into this conversation again for the explicit purpose of offering any who have yet to say, be it done unto me according to your word, in the forgiveness of their own sins. And if you'd like to believe in Jesus, I invite you to do so right now. And here are some of the words you might say. God in heaven, I want to trust in Jesus now. I want to believe that he died for my sins. I confess myself a sinner. Forgive me. I accept Jesus as my only way to heaven and the forgiveness of my sins now. Thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.